This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 20, Income and Retirement. So easy, even PhDs can't figure it out. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. So apologies to anyone listening who do have PhDs in economics or finance. Uh, so we are happy and, and excited to have everyone on the, uh, on, in the audience today. And thank you all for listening to our episodes on retirement income. We're going to be starting several episodes here in a row on how to do this thing coming down the retirement mountain. Uh, most financial plans are designed all about climbing up, but not coming down. Uh, and maybe you've been climbing for a while. Maybe you've been accumulating some income-producing uh, assets for a while, whether it's your 401k or whatever. And maybe you're just sort of sitting there wondering, how am I going to retire on this? Right? So again, welcome to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Willis, and with me in the studio is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Hello. Thank you. And that's exactly what we're going to be talking about together today. Uh, where will my income come from in retirement? How am I going to Take this nut, this nest egg, this you know socked away stash of cash, whether it's in a couple of brokerage accounts or a 401k or you know some swampland in Florida or whatever I've got my money in. How am I going to turn that into some income that I can actually use at the grocery store for my 30, 40 years that I've got uh, after I retire? Right, Holly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And if your birthday uh, falls between 1946 and 1964, then really, you know, this is you. And, and these are the questions that you're probably starting to ask yourself. Uh, that age range is the baby boomer generation. And really, the baby boomers make up a whopping 20% of the American population. And it's the baby boomers who are just now uh, starting to arrive at that kind of qualifying retirement age uh, in mass. And so maybe that's you, maybe that's your parents, uh, but really if, if you know, you're in that baby boomer generation, then there might be some hard questions that you're going to have to start asking yourself. Uh, are you ready for retirement? Do you have enough cash kind of accumulated and, and stashed away for you to be able to draw an income from? Will you have to work longer? You know, how, I mean, that's the, that's the million dollar question. You know, when is the time that it would be safe for me to start drawing from my retirement assets and, and make sure that they're going to last as long as I want them to? Uh, or are you going to have to maybe work some type of part-time job um, mm -hmm. after retirement to kind of supplement? So there, there's all these different hard questions that, um, you know, if you haven't already, might need to start asking yourself. I I've mean, already just got my of... I've already got my Walmart application ready. I mean, it's ready to go. <laughs> no, Mark, we don't want that. No Walmart <laughs> applications, not an option. Um, but yeah, and so also, you know, what what's been happening? Why why are the baby boomers who are approaching retirement uh, kind of in the state that they're in? I mean, article after article after article has been coming out recently about this retirement crisis and the situation that the baby boomers are in, uh, because you know, quite frankly, it is it is kind of bleak. Uh, Baby boomers are really the 
one of the first generations that are showing up this wildly unprepared uh, for their retirement. And, and a lot of it, you know, stems from things we've talked about before, uh, the disappearance of, of pensions. You know, pensions have, have gone away. And so they're really that first generation that's starting to approach retirement and have been having to prepare for it all on their own. You know, they had to uh, kind of carry that burden of preparing for that retirement, the whole burden on themselves. There was not some additional pension or something else that's going to be backing them up. It was all on them. Um, and so, you know, certainly on top of that, we had, you know, the tech tech bubble, we had the housing right. crisis. I mean, we had all these different things that then happened to these poor baby boomers on their way, you know, kind of right in that, la- that last stretch, you know, maybe the last, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 years as they were preparing for retirement, boom, both of those crises, you know, happened to them. And that wasn't good news either. And so actually, I mean, these different things have compounded to the point where and actually, just last year, a study was done uh, and a survey came out that was, you know, looking at uh, 1,500, you know, different adults uh, over the age of 55. So pretty big sample size. It was done by uh, Go Banking Rates. And what they found in their research was that 30% of the people that responded to this survey, and again, these are people uh, age 55 and older, that claimed that they had no retirement savings at all. Wow. So one in three. So one in three. If you're sitting with, uh, if you're 55 years old and you're having coffee with three of your best friends, um, you know, odds are better than even that one of you, or even just two of your good friends around that table, one in three of you do not have anything prepared for retirement. Just 10 years into the future. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's with, I mean, they're staring down the barrel, right, of retirement. I mean, they're 55, and so, uh, I mean. You know, when are they hoping to retire? Uh, 65, 70, 85, you know? Um, And so that's, but that's just, you know, so 30% was saying that they had no retirement savings, uh, but then an additional 26%, so another 26% of this same group uh, reported that they had less than $50,000 saved for retirement. So $50,000, I mean, is that even one year's income? Wow. So now we're looking at, Either if it's just you and your good buddy uh, having coffee together, one of you has less than 50 grand saved, maybe nothing saved. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when I hear about these, I mean, you can have a crisis in the news and that's just any given Tuesday because that's how they make good ratings, right? One crisis after the next. But you really start to think about that, letting that sink in. That's obviously a crisis. It's not like we can go back in time and put away more money. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. really time works in one direction here. So how how much is enough? How, how can we possibly get there? Uh, so how do we know when we've got enough? Um, is it 100,000? Is it a quarter million? Is it a million? Is it 5 million? How much do we really no- need to have to be sure we have a safe uh, income in our retirement years? I mean, it's really, really, really hard to figure that out. It really mm-hmm. comes down to a basic question. You know, if I've got Let's say I've got a million bucks saved in my nest egg. All right, so now we're way off the averages. All right, so if the average person has 50,000 or less, we're not your average financial podcast, guys. So you've got, here we are with our million dollar nest egg and we're feeling really good about that. But it's really tough to know, okay, now I'm 66 years old. I just retired last month. What am I gonna do with this million? How do I know exactly what to take out of my savings each month to ensure that I don't outlive this money? Because I can't go back and not spend it. Once it's gone, it's gone. 
This mm-hmm. is really, really hard to do, even for PhDs in finance. How are average Americans supposed to do this, right? Yeah. Well, and and also, you know, what do you do with it? You know, what should that asset allocation look like? I mean, there's yeah. so many different questions that can have such huge implications you on bet. the success of your retirement because just one slip, one slip up, and you could be, you know, that could be the difference between retire or you know retiring, you know, peacefully for the rest of your years and running out of money when you're 80. So spending the next 30 years stressing about this is not a way I want to live. You know, (laughs) Uh, do you want to be stressing over, hey, can I go see the grandkids this month? Or, hey, do I pick that stock or that stock? I mean, those are questions I don't want to be messing with. And that's the pension was something that really solved that problem. You know, it it really just provided an income for the rest of your life on the company's dime. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's probably why they went the way of the dodo. You know, they're no longer really uh, in existence for the most part. If you've got one, hold on to it tightly or, uh, you know, uh, get one if you can get one. But today's mostly market-based retirement programs are less like a a river of money flowing to your paycheck, uh, flowing to your inbox every month, and more like a a bucket of cash that you can spend all at once. But it's gone. Once it's gone, it's gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, most advisors have figured out that this is really hard to do. (laughs) And just so happens they're also really not compensated well or really their entire business model is really not designed to help you with this problem either. You know, they're they're designed and they're compensated on how much can I accumulate for my clients? How much assets under management can I have? And they're fun, they're they're compensated for that. So they're really not incentivized and they're really not educated on how to get money back in your pocket once mm-hmm. once you've accumulated it. So most sales managers admittedly in the 401k offices will just tell their their associates, their financial uh, investment advisors or their 401k advisors, just tell the clients, just tell those 401k holders to just pull about 4% out a year. And that's that's been the rule for a long time, maybe 20 or 30 years, maybe more, has been, hey, just, just live on 4% or less and you'll be fine. You won't outlive your income. Okay, so the 4% rule, that's kind of the, that's what you're taught in average financial planning, right, Holly? Yep, yep, Absolutely. All right. So we did this uh, dig- little digging and we found a report published by Morningstar just a few years ago. This is, again, Morningstar um, head offices right here in Chicago, just up the street from us this morning. Uh, third-party analyst company. So they're a third-party research firm that does some specific research around everything from the prospectus of a mutual fund to things like this. How much should we pull out of our retirement funds each year? Okay. So this is very recently done. And they did a report called Low Bond Yields and Safe Portfolio Withdrawal Rates. Okay, so uh, talk about a snoozer. You can put this one right under your pillow with that kind of title. <laughs> <laughs> but their conclusions were pretty huge. All right, so we've really the, – their, their bottom line executive summary is this. All right, as an economy, as a country, as a world, we've really hit rock bottom in a brand new reality. We've had 20-plus years of super low interest rates on bonds. Mm-hmm. Over a long period of time, those low interest rates, we've, lo- we've loved it for our mortgages, we've loved it for our student loans, but it's really hurting our seniors who can't save enough to keep up with those super low yields, okay? So, you know, folks that are just ready, just about ready to retire, they're having to really work on how little can I live on so I don't run out of cash with those super low interest rates. Something's got to give, and most of the time it's people's budgets. Okay, so they conclude in this report that most Monte Carlo simulations, which is like some software that helps us determine the success of our plan, uh, are bogus. These Monte Carlo scenarios of 4% a year 
rely on average, quote unquote, average rates of return. Go back to episode, what is it, one, I think, that talks about the fallacy of average rates of return. Mm -hmm. Yep. So since they rely on average rates of return of super high amounts, eight, nine, 10% a year in the markets, crazy stuff like that. Uh, and for someone who is living on the fallacy of these high rates of return, it's going to be really a, kind of a hard wake-up call because we've really had low interest rate environments and a low performing stock market over the last 10, 15 years due to 2008, 2001. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the bottom line is we're far off the mean. We're way off the averages. And the bottom line is the 4% rule only gives us a 50-50 chance of success over our 30-year retirement. Okay. So Holly, do you want 50% chances of success on something as important as your retirement? No, I want I want 100% success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is there really any other option? Yeah. So they found that if you're going to have a 40% exposure to equities, that means if 40% of your portfolio is still tied to the stock market market as you go through retirement, you know, that's pretty common, 60-40 blend like most advisors recommend, then you still, even with 40% tied to the market, 60% bonds, you still only have a 90% chance of success if you only take out 2.8% per year. Okay, so let's walk this out. I got my million bucks. I'm feeling pretty good about life. I'm way better than the average investor at this point. Even so, the safe withdrawal rate, so the money I can pull out and spend on groceries, is 28,000 bucks a year off my million. So that's just to achieve a 90% probability that I won't run out of money throughout 30 years of retirement. Wow. So talk about living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> on $28,000. Taxable. Don't Taxable. forget. Taxable. Taxable. Yeah. So walking down the street, I might have 22000 bucks in my pocket after Uncle Sam takes some of that. Uh, so I can't get over that, Holly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, then even the, the story gets even worse. I mean, because you're talking about a, a 60-40 blend, which, I mean, do you even want to have a 60-40 blend in your retirement years? I mean, probably not. You're probably going to be looking at, um, you know, something – more conservative than that. I mean, even 40% in equities, that's still a pretty good chunk of your, uh, you know, million dollars, your, your, your life savings to have at risk um, to have, you know, and, and is liable to have 2000 or, you know, 2009 happen to you all over again. Right. So that is kind of an optimistic number uh, based on a more aggressive blend than people would probably even face. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's what it's saying, but the story could even be much worse. And even that's still just a 90% chance. And these are folks that are, you know, we're talking CFAs, CFPs, PhDs in finance. Uh, David Blanchett is the head, head of retirement research at Morningstar. Okay. Wade Fowl, uh, professor of retirement planning. So, it's not like these guys, you just picked them up off, their, off the street. They, these guys know what they're doing, and they've made the conclusion, we got to go from 4% to 2.8, which, again, you know, just off the face of it, doesn't sound like, you know, just fundamentally different. But you really start to let that sink in. If I've got 2.8% of 50 grand, that's hardly even worth mentioning. That's only a, maybe a couple hundred bucks a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. Wow. And is the 2.8% that you're, you know, kind of allowed to take a year based on this calculation, is that off your starting balance or the standing balance at each individual year? Yeah, uh, off the balance, uh, the starting balance. Starting balance. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they would be, you know, 28,000 would be what it would start on day one. Level. But then the tw that would stay even mm -hmm. though their balance is going to be decreasing. And, and to that point, what's going on in the economy over 30 years, you know? Um, 
Is inflation staying static, for example? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, you really want to be thinking about if you have a saved enough and if that 2.8% that you can take of whatever your balance is, if that's a set amount, again, like you said, that's not necessarily going to help you keep up with inflation uh, year to year. So you might even be looking at having to take a lower percent than 2.8 in the first couple of years so that you could maybe up it a little bit in later years. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe you take 25000 uh, starting off instead of the full 28000 uh, so that maybe you could get up to $30,000. Yeah. Know, but even that, is that is that enough? Right. You know, for for your retirement years, that you know, the rest of your life, um, and then even you know, long term care is a huge, huge topic as well uh, when talking about retirement. So this is in like a you know perfect world where nothing right. goes wrong and your health stays great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens when you do have that health crisis hit you? Um, is is that you know twenty eight thousand that same steady percent, your same steady income each and every year going to help you if long-term care needs come up or a medical expense comes up. No, that means you're probably going to have to dip into it. You're probably going to have to pull out more um, in any given year than what you should, uh, which is, again, either going to mean that you take less out in the future or lower your chances of success and that money actually lasting as long as you need it to. I need to find the source of this study, uh, and maybe we can uh, figure this out. Uh, But there's a recent research study done on brain science, and they say that when Uh, when faced with the conversation about saving for the future self, like my future self, your future self, uh, the part of the brain that's activated is the same part of the brain that is activated when we're talking about a stranger. Hmm. And I think that's really relevant here because, okay, we've we've got less than 50,000. Every other person has less than 50,000 saved for retirement. What Mm -hmm. are we doing to our future selves? How are we treating that stranger Stranger like self. a stranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what are we really going to end up having to do here? I mean, if nothing changes, we're going to have to reduce our standard of living. Uh, we're going to have to contract significantly, move in with the kids, you know, downsize the housing, uh, maybe ask them for help with groceries. Uh, definitely not going to be traveling. No cruises, nothing like that. We're going to have to significantly curtail our discretionary spending. Um, Maybe move to another country where cost of living is a tenth as as expensive as it is here. I mean, we're talking about pretty drastic stuff at this point. But I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want that. My current self. I want want to be nice to my today's self. Exactly. (laughs) That stranger down the road. I mean, even if if they are a stranger, I still want them to be taken care of. (laughs) There's this great quote by Homer Simpson. Have you seen this episode where like – Marge is saying something about, oh, you know, you're going to be hating this decision you made about not saving for the future. And he's like, oh, that's a problem for future Homer. I don't envy that guy. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty good. I mean, I feel like sometimes, though, that that is what we think (laughs) in a way like, oh, I'll I'll deal with that there. And I mean, this is kind of, um, you know, heading off a little bit into things we've talked about before in previous episodes. But it's that, you know, delayed gratification. I mean, we're just we don't want to wait and we don't want to feel the pinch now to have a better outcome later. We would rather just cross that bridge when we get there. Um, But 
the, the reality is and what we're seeing is it's going to be a very, very, very bleak bridge when you get there. Uh, if mm-hmm. you don't actually start doing something now, you know, crossing the bridge when we get there is not really a legitimate option uh, when it comes to your retirement. It, it, as long as you are planning to enjoy those retirement years and you don't uh, want to fill out, you know, that part time job application or do some of these things that you just mentioned, Mark. I mean, downsizing our home, moving away from our families potentially. I mean, those are all things that um, you know no one wants to do and no one should have to do um, as long as they're preparing you know enough ahead of time and taking the right steps to help them get there. So there are a couple things that we can do uh, to make sure that we are uh, not only going to be able to retire successfully and, and not have to pull back in the ways you described, but we could actually maybe increase. We can mm, be living yeah. better. I mean, I mean, imagine this picture, you know, living your best lifestyle in your retirement years. I mean, that that's that's the dream. That's the retirement dream. Um, Not not, you know, the the part time job and, you know, kind of trying to decide whether you're going to buy your medication or your your groceries for the week. And it sounds extreme, but those cases are out there, too. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard the stories of people that there's like, okay, well, I can either buy my medication or I can, you know, buy buy my food for the week. Um, and I mean, that's just a reality that, that just should, shouldn't have to play out for anyone. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to be looking um, at some of these, these action items and things that you can be doing uh, now in order to make sure that that's your story. You're the one that is living your dream and your best life in your retirement years. And it's really all about, you know, how you think and the actions that you then take from that thinking. And that's what we're going to start talking about in our our following episodes to come. Uh, But really, the actions aren't complicated. I mean, really, first, you know, step one, save more, Um, you know, which which maybe we could even have a a step one and a half or a half step, 0.5 step is start saving. Mm. Uh, If you're not already saving, start saving. And then the next step is save even more. (laughs) And then more. Crawl, Um, then walk, then run, whatever you can do. Exactly. Baby steps, baby steps. Uh, They'll get you far, believe it or not. Uh, Baby steps are better than no steps at all. Um, And so really, you should be looking at some sort of plan or way to help you increase your savings uh, year by year. So you could maybe just, you know, set a goal in mind where every single year you're going to be saving an extra 1% of, you know, your income. So if you're currently saving, you know, 2%, 2%, then next year, 3 then the go. next year, 4%. That. Great idea. Um, I've also heard another really great strategy that what people will do is they will um, start saving the difference and the increase in their income that they get. You know, it's fairly common. Uh, individuals will get some sort of pay raise around December 31st. Hey, it's January. Not too late to implement yep. this one. Um, that... That you know, you get that raise. Maybe you know, call it an inflation bonus or just a uh, experience bonus. You know, you might see a couple hundred extra hundred bucks on your paycheck. Well, rather than spending that money and absorbing it into your lifestyle, start saving it uh, for your future. So that's kind of one step in regards to saving. And then the second is, you know, find income streams uh, that can help you kind of leave this rat race, kind of get out of this typical story and these average numbers that we're we're hearing and, and things that are coming up. So you can really start to help yourself go from financial security to financial independence, to financial freedom, to true financial abundance. Mm, yeah. And that that can happen. Uh, that can be you. And you can do that through kind of establishing different passive income streams that you know you'll be able to count on uh, during those retirement years. 
Um, and so, Mark, I know you had brought this up to me and I thought it was really interesting, uh, kind of what retirement even means yeah. and, and where that came about. I thought that was pretty interesting. I, yeah, I think it's going to take a combination of what you just said, Holly, all those things, all those steps uh, to get us past sort of this uh, ditch that we found ourselves in. But I think it's also going to take reframing our understanding of the word retirement. Uh, what, does that, what does that word even mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to retire. Uh, if I'm breathing, if I'm still kicking, I want to be adding and creating value for the world. I think I find that's where a lot of my sense of fun and purpose and excitement comes from. Uh, you know, I, I did a little homework on this. And I mean, where did the word retirement even come from? It, it really came as a response to the industrial age. Our physical bodies really couldn't do that factory labor forever. And so, you know, we couldn't do the work on the assembly line forever. Our physical bodies were only so good for so long. And so that magical age of 65, that came out of, really it came out of uh, uh, Western Europe. Necessity. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it came from that specific age of 65, came out of Europe uh, and out of necessity from the industrial age. And in 1937, the U.S. government put 65 as the date when we would start receiving uh, a government pension. Social Security is a government pension. Uh, And wouldn't you know it, our life expectancy at that point was a whopping 61 years old. So Mm -hmm. most people didn't even get Social Security. We wouldn't make it that long. Oh, by the way, today's life expectancy is 78. And that's part of the reason why we're, you know, in such a crisis with our Social Security uh, programs right now. Uh, The the secret is most people actually retire. They go about two or three months. This is my experience with clients. They go a couple months. They feel this itch to get back out there and start creating again. Because I believe it's your ability to create that makes you feel human in some ways. So, you know, it might mean changing the outlook on your word or your feeling about retirement. I mean, Moses never retired, you know. He moved out of the job of shepherd out to be a spiritual leader for folks. You know, we're working, we're moving as an economy, we're moving from a labor economy to a knowledge economy. And that's kind of a good thing for boomers that might not have labor left in their bones. But maybe you can mentor or consult or whatever uh, and bring some extra income in. Even if you don't have enough saved, even if you do, maybe it's time to start looking within your own economy and asking yourself, what's my next chapter? You know, how I'm leaving this job. What's my new job going to be? Just like Moses. You know, we'll help you with packing money away. We'll help you with creating an income to support your new ventures. But really, it comes down to what do you want life to look like in this new chapter? Right, Holly? Mm-hmm. I love that. And and I actually have been starting to see this um, with, with the different individuals and clients that I work with. You know, the more and more I'm asking them about retirement, I would say that the story is sh- shifting slightly. Right. Uh, where people are, are, you know, some people still want the full, you know, full full deal, full retirement package in a way uh, where they want to, you know, stop working and, and not have to work again. Sit you know, any sour of, on a beach. Yeah, yeah any <laughs> official capacity. Um, but I, I would say, you know, more and more I'm starting to hear people describe rather than this this phase of not working, um, but just simply, you know, more uh, freedom within that structure uh, where maybe they're just working part time or just doing the work that they love. You know, maybe it is a little more of a hobby, uh, but, you know, it's it's what they're they're passionate about and they want to just kind of do that for as long as they're able. You know, so they're they're starting to stop saying, hey, I want to retire at 65 um, or 70. Even they're saying, hey, this is what I want to do for as long as I'm able. There you go. Uh, and so I, I love that. Um, um, and I think that that can really um, 
you know, help people kind of think through what they want their retirement to look like. Uh, so perfect. I love that. I just love that framework that you you gave it, Mark. Um, and so in our next episode coming up here, I know we promised a little mini c- series here on retirement income. Uh, so our next episode is also going to be unraveling some of these same topics. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the different income stream possibilities uh, that you can consider in your future retirement years. And so just want to say uh, thanks again for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.